There are very few things in life that you can know for sure. Things change all the time. Uh, Things depend on people and people change. There's lots of things that we uh, wish we could know for certain at any given moment or even maybe for the long haul. Is is this thing in my life going to work out? Am I going to get the job that I'm hoping for? Will I find someone to marry? Whatever it might be. Uh, Things that we, you know, really hope will come to be, but we don't really have the kind of assurance that we would like to have. Well, there is something um, that is of the greatest importance ever that, thankfully, you can have absolute assurance of. I'm going to read a passage here from 1 John chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 10, where John writes, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself, and he who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he's not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now that that was a revolutionary truth for me to come to grips with when I first came to Christ. Uh, and it was right around the time I first came to Christ that I had first heard of this passage. Now, I came out of a tradition where you could have no real sure assurance of your salvation. It was always somehow contingent upon our merits. We, uh, It was God's grace, but grace was something we sort of contributed to and, and that kind of thing. And so therefore, you could never really know for sure. You might feel pretty good about yourself, but you don't really know for sure that when you take your last breath on earth, you'll take your first breath in heaven. So I was shocked and, uh, man, deeply moved and comforted by the fact that the scriptures actually tell us, and no less than one of the closest friends of Jesus, John the Apostle, tells us that we can know with assurance to have secure knowledge of, sure factual knowledge, that we have present possession, I have it, eternal life. And this is by believing in the name of the Son of God. Now, the gospel is a beautiful truth, the beautiful truth. Uh, The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That simple concept of putting our trust in Jesus and that trust in him alone is ultimately where salvation comes through. It It is not through our works. It is through his finished work And we believe him for that. We believe in who he is and what he accomplished. Um, Paul would write uh, in places like um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Matter of fact, I'll have you turn to it and read it. Uh, It may very well be that, that, like it was for me, these were passages that I just was not familiar with. I I didn't know the Bible said these things. But here in chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament here, for those who are new with your Bible... Uh, In verses 8 and 9, listen to what uh, Paul has to say. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He would say something similarly in a book just uh, a little bit to your left there, one book to your left in chapter 2. It's a letter to a group of churches in an area called Galatia. And so it's Paul's letter to the Galatians, also in chapter 2 and in verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died 
in vain, or he died needlessly. If I could be righteous, if I could have a right standing before God based on my works or by following the law, then there was no reason for Jesus to come. We could earn it. But Paul is making the point that we can't earn it. Uh, in Ephesians, again, it's it's not something that we uh, that we earn according to our works at all, but rather it's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Well, again, John here in 1 John 5.17 says that by believing in the name of the Son of God, you can know that you have eternal life. Now, there's a John's first letter, by the way, is rich in so many ways like this. There's another passage just uh, a little bit earlier uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, where John, and by the way, I love John. I love John because John dwelt close with Jesus, both in proximity, but you can tell, uh, having written all these years after Christ's death and resurrection, when you read John's writings in his in the gospel, in the three letters he wrote, in the book of Revelation, uh, you, you, you come face to face with a person who knows Jesus, loves him, worships him, recognizes, recognizes him as God. Um, this is his gospel is unique compared to the other three, which share many, many similarities. The gospel of John is very different from the other three. It's, uh, it's written with the intent in mind, much like he says here in first John that these things, you know, all the, uh, there are many other things Jesus said and did John would say toward the end of his gospel. And if, if there was, there, if, if these things could all be recorded in books, there wouldn't be room enough in the world to store all the books to describe these things. But these things we have written that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And so this idea of coming to trust in the one who saves and sets us free, this is the goal of John and his writing. And so when we read First John, we see passages like the one where we just read, but also this one in chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Wow, think about that. People who were separated by sin or even by ethnicity, the Jews were the ones who first Christ came to as one of his own and to whom the promises were made. But even again, as John would say in the beginning of his gospel, you know, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, those who believe in his name, those who were not born of this flesh or the will of man, but rather of the will of God. And so this idea of being born again, of being brought from death to life, from uh, from darkness to light, the idea of coming face to face with the living Christ, the one who died for our sins and has risen from the dead, and now by putting our trust in him, we can become children of God. We do become children of God by faith. And 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 you know, I'm not going to make this super long today. But let me just kind of build on that just a little bit here as far as where we are in Christ. Uh, there is this wonderful passage. Most of us quote like the first verse or the last verse of this passage. But in chapter 8 of Romans, this again is Paul speaking now. And Paul writes this uh, these words from verse 28 through verse 39. Now, we're in the book of Romans in a verse-by-verse study right now on the podcast. And I would encourage you to read the whole book of Romans and get super familiar with it. But let me just read a part of it today. Uh, in regard to what we're talking about. I'm going to start in verse 28. This is one of those passages that uh, most believers who study the Bible and memorize Scripture probably have memorized this one. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. And he goes on. This is actually part of a larger thought. We generally associate that passage with, we're going through a hard time right now, but God has a good purpose in it. 
That's true, and that's not an inappropriate application. But the larger application that, that Paul is talking about is actually in regard to our ultimate good, not just our momentary, but an even far greater good, our ultimate good in regard to our relationship with God and our security in it. We can rest in the knowledge that God has not only saved us, but everything that is working in regard to our lives, things that are good or things that are bad, all these things work together for good, ultimately to build in us things for a far greater good. Um, um, than even just a momentary sense, but also in the ultimate sense. Again, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is also at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long, and we're counted, uh, accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." We come by faith, we receive the, the, the person and finished work of Christ. He went to the cross on our behalf, as, as Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is all received by faith. It's the wonderful, beautiful, transactional nature of the gospel where Jesus takes our sinful, filthy rags, as Isaiah would call it, what what accounts for our righteousness, takes it off of us and puts it on himself and carries it to the cross and pays for it. And instead now he gives us his robe of righteousness, where now we are clean and pure. Positionally, we still wrestle with sin and that, but in the eyes of God, it is finished. It is paid in full. It is done. There is no debt left to pay. We have been made clean and pure as the driven snow in Christ. And now, uh, when, when John would also say in his first letter, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, the one who stands before us and advocates on our behalf before the Father, that, that the Father sees us now through Jesus. Let me clear up a misconception really quick. Uh, sometimes when we hear a passage like that, or sadly, if, if your view of God is one where he's just this vicious, angry judge who just wants to make your life terrible and then wants to send you to hell or something— that's not the character of God. Remember John 3.16, we quoted it. It was God who so loved the world that he gave, he gave, what did he give? His, own, his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him. In other words, God did the hard thing. Jesus did the heavy lifting. What is left for us is to believe that whoever would believe in him, whosoever would believe in him, even you, even me, whatever background you've come from, whatever has happened to your life, whatever... We're, we're all welcome to come. Here's the thing. We're all born in sin. We all essentially are coming from the same place of lostness. 
That lostness may find expression in different ways through the various kinds of sins we commit, but we all essentially are in exactly the same position from our mother's womb. Like David would say, in in sin I was conceived in my mother's womb. I wasn't even out of the womb yet, and I'm already condemned. But Jesus came to lift that debt off of us, not just to to pay for some sins that we committed, like just a few things here and there that were maybe boo-boos or something, but no, our actual sin nature, our wickedness from the inside out that we were literally born in, he paid for that. And now whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And now we're children of God by virtue of being brought into the family of God by faith. Blessed is the man to whom God does not impute sin, David would say, and Paul would quote in Romans 4-5. Um, While all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there is now redemption in Christ alone. It's the, he's the only way, but he is the way. Um, I sometimes share this analogy in, in different circumstances, but for those who feel that this message sounds too narrow, you know, Jesus is the only way, that's so narrow-minded. It's not as narrow-minded as what most people tend to think. Most people tend to think that everybody goes to heaven, unless you're just the worst kind of person. Everybody just is taking different roads to the same place. Well, wait a minute. That's the most narrow-minded thing you can say. Everybody's taking roads to the same place. Jesus said there are two places. You can take the broad road that leads to destruction, or you can take the narrow road that leads to everlasting life. And this is the road that he has opened the door to by virtue of his death. Here's the analogy I like to use. Uh, If we found ourselves in a burning building, and we didn't know our way out, the smoke had filled the room, it filled the building, we're just crawling around on the ground trying to find some way out. And all of a sudden, a fireman kicks open the door and says, come this way if you want to live. I would imagine, probably, maybe you're one of the weird ones who would who would do this. But my guess is that nobody would stop and tell that fireman that his escape plan was too narrow. I should be able to go any way I want. Why should I have to go your way? Why is yours the only way? Nobody would say that. We would all grab onto his coat. We would follow him wherever he said to go because this is somebody who knows and has made the way for us to be saved. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. In coming into the world and paying for our sin, he essentially kicked open the door to a a, a world that is collapsing and burning down. And he said, come with me if you want to live. We wouldn't be arguing with him. We shouldn't be arguing with him that there's not a thousand ways. We should be thankful that there's a way. There's, we certainly couldn't come up with any way, but he made the way that we might ultimately be saved. And once we are believers in Christ, what blessed assurance we have. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is grace, and it's all of his grace. We're saved by his grace. We're sustained by his grace. We will, grace will lead us home. Uh, we are the purchase of God by his grace, and therefore there is nothing that we can do to, to earn it, and there's nothing we can do to, uh, to, to lose it. We are his in his grip as his children. Well, wait a minute, you might be saying. Well, if that's true, then I guess I can just go on living any way I want. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible, quote him, uh, Paul himself says, you know, I, all things are lawful for me, but not all things build up, not all things edify, not all things are constructive to my faith or anyone else's. Can you, as a Christian, sin? It's possible, sure, but how can you know the grace of God? And, 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 and this, is, this is why we talk about the fallenness and the sinfulness, the, the born dead in sin, as, as David would say, 
um, we present this with the gospel. Because if we don't understand our actual condition, then we don't generally appreciate what grace really has accomplished. Um, You and I are maybe not as bad as we could be, but we are by nature children of wrath, the Bible says. We are sinners, literally, not just because of what we do, but because of what we are. And because that's true, you and I are ultimately completely hopeless. No chance of getting out of our predicament, if not for Christ Jesus, who made the way by taking our very sin, that, that which we are, taking it to the cross and paying for it once and for all. God in the flesh, in the person of Christ, the eternal word, the Son of God, coming into time to rescue us from our hopeless predicament and condition. This is the glory of the gospel. This is the beauty of the good news. This is why the good news and the feet of those who bring it are so beautiful, because it is, it is, it is the, 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 the way of escape from that which we totally deserve. God's grace is giving us Christ's riches at, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. And so therefore, we come to him. He alone has the words to eternal life, as, G- as uh, Peter would say. And so I share this with you because of two things. First off, because it's important that you believe the gospel. First and foremost, you need to put your trust in Christ Jesus. He, like, like we've quoted twice already, God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that if you would believe in him, you'd not perish but have everlasting life. Once you put your trust in Jesus, you now belong to him. Um, his love for you knows no ends. Will he work on you and, and change your life from the inside out? Of course he will. We call that sanctification, the idea of being set further and further apart to God. If you're thinking, well, I don't want to change, well, then you're not ready to come to Jesus. If you're thinking, oh my gosh, I, I've never thought of myself as being lost and completely hopeless in that, yes, I need Jesus, then you're ready. And chances are you're willing to just not only believe, but say, Lord, take me and just do with me as you will. I like to say he loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. So yes, he will change your life. But that's not to earn your salvation. That is the fruit of being saved. That is the result of having a right relationship with God. Our works don't earn anything. It is all him. He is the one who paid it in full. And if it's paid in full, there is nothing left to pay. Uh, that's what the word to Telestine in the Greek is when he said it is finished. It means paid in full. There's nothing left to do, nothing left to pay. Jesus took it all, all to him I owe. That is the way the gospel works. And so as we bring this to a close, again, my hope is twofold. One is that you put your trust in Jesus today, that you not let another moment pass. The other is that if you are a believer and you wrestle with your salvation, I know there are many who do that wonder like, oh gosh, have I fallen out of God's grace? If you're worried about it, chances are you you maybe haven't because it, it is a dire concern of yours. But let me just remind you of what Paul said. Jesus said, all of the fathers give me, no one will snatch them out of my hands or my father's hands. There is no fear that, that somehow you're going to be lost once you've been found. Um, There are extreme cases in Scripture where Paul delivers people over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh and that kind of thing. Uh, Whatever that means, it doesn't sound good. But there's mention of also that their soul might be saved. You know, the idea that, look, you can sin yourself into God bringing tremendous correction, but you're still his. You're still his. Uh, The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And so, um, but that's a loving thing. The important thing is that you understand that you never do anything to earn your salvation. 
All you're doing is putting your trust in what Christ has already done. And so let me invite you to do that now, that you might know him, that you might walk with him, that you might fall deeply in love with him more and more every day as you walk with him, that you might enter into and enjoy to the full that life-giving relationship that he has come to give. Father, I just pray, Lord, for any who are watching right now that have never heard the gospel and have never put their trust in Jesus, or maybe they've misunderstood the gospel, or maybe someone told them that they need to live a certain way or accomplish a certain number of good things to be right before you and that sort of thing. We thank you that the Bible is clear on this, and we just pray, Lord, for them right now, if they're hearing these words, that they would not put off coming to Christ and just simply putting their trust in him, no longer running the other way, but repenting or changing their mind and coming to Jesus and saying, yes, I, I can't do this myself. There's no other way I can, I can be right with God. Jesus, I trust you, and I put my faith in you. I would just invite any of you who are watching now who are ready to do that to pray with me a very simple prayer. And, and frankly, there's nothing magical about this prayer. There's no special thing about the words I've chosen to use. It's just really my way of trying to help you express, maybe for the first time ever, your desire to know God and to be uh, to receive that forgiveness and that grace that Christ has afforded us at the cross in his death and in his resurrection. So if you're ready to come to Jesus here today, if you're ready to answer his call to come and be saved, then pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner, but I do believe the gospel. I believe that Jesus came and paid for my sin, past, present, and future, once and for all, and now it is paid in full. I put my trust in him, God in the flesh, who took my sin away and now instead gives me grace. I pray that you'd help me to walk in that grace. Help me never to take, advantage, take, take it for granted, but help me to remember that your grace covers my sin fully. And help my life to be a living reflection, a living thank you for what you have done for me in Christ. I do desire to live a new kind of life. I don't want to live the life I used to live. I thank you that that no longer holds me down, but I want to say goodbye to it completely. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would change me from the inside out and make me more like Jesus. I thank you for your grace, for your love, for your mercy, for your kindness, for your forgiveness. Thank you for all of these things that come in and through the perfect and finished work of Christ Jesus on the cross where he died, was buried, and rose again for me. Thank you. I love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I realize I might have spoken a little quickly there, but again, the goal is that in your own heart and in your own mind, you have simply said, Lord, enough. I've run away from you for too long. Take me as I am. Thank you for your forgiveness and grace. Um, I'm glad if you prayed that prayer, I'm so glad to, to know that. I, I, I hope you will let me know that. And uh, and certainly, uh, I, would, I would hope that maybe you continue to follow our posts and learn and grow in your faith as we go through the Word of God. I would also encourage you to find a really good Bible teaching church in your area, one that that has extremely high regard for the Word of God and sees it as the Word of God that you might grow in it. Uh, right alongside of other believers who want to grow in their faith as well, that then you guys can give and receive from each other and help each other along the way. So God bless you, and thank you so much for watching, for listening. I do pray that um, that uh, the Lord would bless and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace forever. And so, until next time, 
Uh, God bless you, and we'll see you in the next post.